So let's go to Colossians chapter 4, if you would. If you reach a place, let's stand together tonight as we read our text for this evening. Colossians chapter 4, want to begin reading in verse number 2, if you would. The Bible says, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With all, praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Our Father, tonight we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it, dear Lord, lightens our path. It guides us. It directs us. I thank you, dear Lord, for the conviction, for the very working of the Spirit of God through the Word, and dear Lord, how it shapes us and molds us in our Christian walk. And I pray tonight, dear God, that you'd help me. I pray that, dear Lord, I'd only say those things that you'd have. I pray that you'd guard my speech tonight. And dear Lord, at the same time, you would give me that which needs to be said. I pray give liberty to preach your word. And Father, you'd give us an open heart and receptive minds to be able to respond to that which you show us, that which you lay out from your scriptures. And God, we'll be careful tonight to thank you and praise you for all that you do as we ask you together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so very much. You may be seated. As we look here tonight to the book of Colossians as a whole, we find that the Apostle Paul is a missionary sent out, as we learned last night, about he sent out of the church at Antioch, and really what he's doing here is writing a prayer letter to this particular church. It's interesting, you study it and look at it that light, many of Paul's epistles are in fact prayer letters. The very letter to the churches of Galatia, the epistle of Ephesians, Philippians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, much of those could be considered what you and I might look at in light of a prayer letter. I want to tell you this evening as we come to our passage and we think about what's going on here, it's interesting to note that Paul didn't start this particular church. He was not used of the Lord particularly to establish this congregation. In fact, you study it and you'll find out from there's great indication that Paul had never even met this congregation in person. And yet Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 4 tells you and I tonight that he had heard of their faith and he had heard of their love for all the saints and it compelled Paul to write them. And so Paul writes them, and my friend, when we come to chapter 4, and really he's beginning to kind of bring this prayer letter, if we could say it that way, to a close, and what it does, he is compelled to end this letter with a very serious request. Of all the things you think with me tonight that Paul could have asked of this church, he could have asked. Now you think about with me honestly and all the things that Paul could have asked of this particular church. He could have asked them for money. Honestly, let's be very realistic tonight. It takes money 
to be able to get things accomplished. And Paul had a crew of men and uh, people working with him. And no doubt it takes uh, finances to be able to provide for their feeding. And he could have used the finances to be able to help with their transportation and the different outreaches and things that he does. He had said to the church at one time of Philippi in chapter 4 and verse number 15, he said, nobody else communicated with me as giving and receiving, but you only. And when he wrote that, it's an interesting thing because Paul wasn't a rookie missionary. You see, what do you mean by that? He wasn't some newbie, if we could say it that way, on deputation, just trying to get started. Paul was what we might consider a very seasoned missionary at that time. He had been around, people had known him, and yet his financial income, his support, was really very minimal. And he could have used the finances to help him. And yet, out of all the things that he asked, he doesn't ask for finances. He didn't ask for money. He could have asked of this church as he's writing and speaking to them. He could have asked for laborers. I, I need some help on the field. Paul was not one to sit around and twiddle his thumbs and kind of what we might consider lazy in his mission endeavorments. He wasn't an idle individual by any stretch of the imagination, my friend. Paul was a very busy, a very active man. He had several irons in the fire at one time and he was often known to send his men to this place and to that place and they were outreaching in different places, starting work and preaching points if we could say it that way. He would use men to carry communications between churches. He used men like Titus to transport offerings to these different works. I mean no doubt Paul could have used the help and the fellow laborers in the work of God but he didn't ask for money and he doesn't ask for laborers. As Paul winds this letter and this epistle down he believes the very thing he needs more than anything else is the fact that this church would pray on his behalf. And I want to suggest to you tonight, my friend, that the greatest need the Apostle Paul had is what most missionaries need, and that is God's people going to God himself on their behalf. I still believe with all my heart that prayer is the greatest need a missionary has. I want us to look tonight from the scriptures and particularly our text. And I want to preach to you on that thought for a few moments. A missionary's greatest need. I want you to notice first of all the importance of prayer. Paul knew that the issue and the subject of prayer was of most importance. The only way he's going to be able to accomplish that which God has for him and that which God has asked of him is that some people will be able to get a hold of the throne of grace and God will be able to enable him to help accomplish the task that God asked for him. He's not going to do this without God. And I'll tell you, my friend, whether it's worldwide missions, whether it's outreach in our own community, whether it's personal evangelism, 
we will not accomplish the task of winning people to Christ and seeing the spread of the gospel without the help of Almighty God. Paul writes to this church and he asks them, he says, listen, pray for us. Can I tell you that this is not the only ones that Paul is recorded to make this request of. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? He often is found in his epistles asking of God's people, of the Lord's churches, to be able to pray for him and his ministry. Let me read you some Bible tonight, if I might. In Romans chapter 15 and verse number 30, Paul says here, he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Paul says in this church, he said, listen, if you could find it in your heart and find it in your time to pray, he says, you could help fight the battle. That's what that idea of strive. You can come alongside me and help in the work of God by simply going to the throne of grace. That we might strive, we'll fight this battle and be able to accomplish what God has. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 11 says, You also helping together by prayer for us. Paul told the church at Corinth, you're a helper in the ministry and the work that God has by praying. Listen, it's not just finances that bring churches into partnership. Though I believe that's a big portion of it and I believe that's important. My friend, you can turn around and bring yourself into a partnership between a New Testament church and missionaries by getting a hold of God and the throne of grace and being partners in this subject of prayer. He says, hey, help us. You can come together and help us by prayer. In Ephesians chapter number 6, Paul talks about how they have wrestled not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. And then he goes on to talk about putting on the whole armor of God. And right when he gets done with that, here's what he says in verse 18. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Verse 19. And for me that utterance may be given unto me. That I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. He says I'm asking that God will take the very preaching and the delivering of my mouth, the very presentation of the gospel, that God's hand will be on that and it will go into the hearts and do the work. He says, I need you to pray about this issue. He told the church at Thessalonica on two different occasions, he said, brethren, pray for us. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 25, for a 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 1, he says the very same thing. Pray for us. You said, preacher, what's your point tonight? 
I'm trying to tell you that Paul recognized there is an importance in this subject of praying. Well, my friend, we need to understand that the greatest need missionaries have is the working and the power of God upon their ministry. And the most important thing we can do as churches to help them where they're at and what they're going through is to pray on their behalf. Paul knew that prayer was so important that he exhorted and encouraged young Timothy as a pastor in Ephesus. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, I exhort therefore that first of all, now that word first of all is not talking about sequence. In other words, you got to do it before you do anything. He's talking about it as a priority. This is the most significant. This is the most the thing that is most important or this is the highest priority. And here's what it goes on to say. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made unto all men, for all men. Prayer is more important especially when it comes to this issue of missions tonight. My dear friend, you say, preacher, I can't do much. I can't do this and I can't do that. I, I don't know if I'll say this later, so I'm going to say it again tonight. I'm afraid too often in the Christian life, we're more interested and focused on the things that we can't do than we are on the things that we can one of the greatest commendations in the Bible that is given is given from Jesus of the woman with the alabaster box in Mark chapter 14. He says about her, people were giving to her a hard time and beginning to ridicule what she was doing. And Jesus came to her aid and said, let her alone. She had done what she could. My friend, what a great commendation from the Savior on her behalf. She's not worried about all the things she can't do. She's doing what she can. And sometimes in our churches, I can't do this and I can't do that and I don't have talent to be able to perform this way. And my friend, quit worrying about all the things you can't do. And I tell you what you can matters not of your age. It matters not of who you are. You can get a hold of the throne of God and you can pray unto the Lord on behalf of missions. Absolutely. We got to understand how important this is in the idea of getting the gospel out. But notice not just the importance of prayer, but notice the involvement in prayer. Here's what he says in our text tonight. He says, continue in prayer. Now he had heard of their faith. He had heard of their love. And he doesn't come and say, man, I hope you guys are, uh, will start praying. He never even says anything about starting or beginning he already understood they were involved in prayer. And he asked them to continue. And notice verse 3. Here's what he says. It gets to the heart of the matter. He says, with all, praying also for us. And the idea of with all means at the same time. It, it means together with. And here's what Paul's saying. 
at the same time you're praying for your church and your needs and your community and your outreach at the same time with all praying also for us. Hey, I got needs. And you know what Paul's doing? He's coming to those that he believes has an involvement in prayer and he's asking them while you're praying for yourselves and your homes and your lives, pray for us at the same time. Listen, let's be real honest. Paul's not requesting of someone or some group or some church that he doesn't believe has a prayer life. He's coming to those that he believes has a real relationship and knows how to get to hold of the throne of grace. Can I, without trying to be ugly tonight, I'm telling you, we need to understand as God's people that the privilege it is and the honor it is to be asked of someone to pray on their behalf. You see, we're not going to pray for missionaries. and We're not going to pray for a foreign country and soil and ministries that are beyond our area if we're not already first praying about what's going on here. If I had a critical need, if there was a serious issue health-wise with my wife or one of my children, I'm going to be trying to get a hold of some men and some churches that I believe have an avenue and have a reach with God that know how to get a hold of the Lord and are already involved in this thing called prayer. Paul's not just asking a bunch of people out here. He's going to someone and some group, a church that he believes has already been involved in getting a hold of the throne of grace. I tell you one more time tonight, it's so important for us to understand it's not just a privilege, it's an honor for someone to ask of us to pray about what they're dealing with and their needs of the ministry. I wonder tonight if Paul knew us personally. I know he's writing in a church context. But remember, we're part of God's house, and so the things that are done corporately have to be performed with us individually. We talked about that the other morning. So let me ask you this evening. I wonder if Paul knew us personally, would he ask prayer of us? Would he ask of us to go on his behalf to get a hold of the Lord for the ministry and the cause of Christ. There's not just the importance of prayer and the involvement in prayer, but I want you to notice with me tonight the instruction for prayer. Here's what he says. In verse number three, he says, With all praying also for us, now notice this little word, that. Paul says, I'm not just asking you to pray generically. Or generally, I've got something specific on my heart and I'm going to ask you to go to God 
on this issue. I want you to ask that God will open doors that I might preach and be able to get the gospel out for the Lord Jesus Christ. He had a specific need that he was praying about. You know, that's what I like about the Bible. The Word of God is so thorough. I mean, it not just tells us that we ought to be involved in prayer, but it tells us some of the very things that we ought to pray about. What I'd like to do tonight is just take a couple of minutes, and I'd like to give you some things that you ought to pray about your missionaries for. If you got a pen or a pencil, you ought to write some of these down. We only have about 30 sub-points under this heading tonight. I'm kidding, it's not that much. But I don't want to labor these things. I just want to give you some practical thoughts. Because I believe the Bible is practical. I believe it ought to be applicable to our life and put into practice. And so we, if we did nothing else, we left here tonight and we said, well, you know, that was a great that was a great message and an encouragement and a challenge about praying for missionaries, but I don't really know what they need. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. So let me give you some things to think about when it comes to praying for missionaries. You ought to pray for their faith. You say, what do you mean? Preacher, listen to me. They got to go to the foreign field and missionaries have to learn to trust God. They have to learn to rely on Him and allow Him to direct their steps and to guide their ministry. You ought to pray for their faith. Most missionaries didn't surrender to what God would ask of them because they had nothing else to do. Most of these guys held down a full-time job. They had other things. You, you look at the disciples to whom the Lord called it wasn't that they were just standing around. He called men who were uh, businessmen. Peter and Andrew and James and John, they had successful fishing business. Matthew was a tax collector. These men were active. They had full-time jobs, and yet the Lord came to them and said, Follow me. And those men by faith left everything they knew and followed the Lord and trusted Him for their needs. You need to pray for your missionaries and their faith that they'll trust God. I mean, it's one thing to live by your own faith and in those things. It's another thing to live by the faith and the generosity of others. But they're really not living by just the generosity and faith of others. They're trusting God to provide their needs. You pray for their faith. Let me also tell you tonight. You ought to pray for their foundation. Oh, what do you mean by that, preacher? Pray that your missionaries build their life upon the Lord Jesus Christ. You ought to pray that they're doctrinally sound. Their foundation is what it ought to be. I hope you know my heart and understand what I'm fixing to say this evening. But I've talked to some missionaries and I've talked to preachers along the way and I've gotten a habit, I was told by an old preacher years ago. He said, you get around preachers and things, just ask them how they got saved. I started making that a practice. And I'm telling you some of the salvation testimonies that missionaries have 
is alarming to say the least. You say, preacher, really? I've known several missionaries to get on the field and realize they were lost and have to come home. Uh, praise the Lord that they came to that understanding. Praise the Lord that they were willing to humble themselves and, my friend, willing to trust Christ regardless of what anybody might think or say about it. But I'm telling you, it would be a whole lot better off to make sure that these things are solid before they ever go to the field. It's not just their salvation, it's their doctrinal stances. Their foundation of the scriptures to know the word of God. Pray for their faith. Pray for their foundation. Let me also tell you, you ought to pray for their family. Hey, there's often inadequate family life for missionaries. Sometimes because of particular areas, it's not safe for the whole family to go in to particular areas in some of these countries around the world. You ought to pray for that. We're living in a day and age where the society has a low standard of what the family ought to be. And our missionaries ought to set an example of what God says a home and a family and a marriage and children ought to be. By the way, this idea of destroying the home isn't something that I'm talking about on the foreign soil. It's happening right here in America. There's an attack upon the home like never before, my friend. You hear it, that well, we're trying to do away with the nuclear family. It ought to break your heart to hear people say that. But our missionaries need to go to the field and set the example Make sure that their marriage is what it needs to be and the communication is there. And the children, if not careful, children often feel neglected and they become resentful if they're not careful. Pray for their family. Let me also tell you, you ought to pray for their fitness. What do you mean by that? Their health. I know that we're right in the middle of the world pandemic with the coronavirus and those issues. But I'm telling you, my friends, sometimes the medical um, facilities and what is available to missionaries is not near what we have in our own country. I've been in the bush of places like Papua New Guinea, and they've got what they call hausics. They're little hospitals and, and how... And if you didn't have something before you went in there, you'll have something by the time you come out. I mean, it's just not sanitary. It's not healthy. And it's, but that's what they have. I know many of you are familiar with Scott Kuzel and what happened to him when he was attacked in South Africa. It's amazing the very fact that God provided and protected him in that whole situation. You ought to pray not just for their fitness and their family and their foundation, but you also ought to pray for their finances. It's a hard thing to be able to have this balance. Sometimes they live underfunded, 
by American standards, but you go to the field and nationals think they got all the money in the world and that kind of stuff. And my friend, there's a balance in that. Often missionaries will spend two to three or maybe even more time uh, years on deputation and they're still not funded where they ought to be and really need to be. They need to pray for their finances. Pray for wisdom on how to spend those kind of things. You ought to pray for their fruit. Hey, pray that souls will be saved and not just fruit and numbers but as the Bible says in John chapter 15, you ought to pray that that fruit which will remain. That's what we're after. Fruit that's real and substance. You ought to pray for missionaries and the fact that God would give them some men. I appreciate, please understand my heart, I appreciate women and I appreciate kids and I know there are activities and programs and things that you can do to reach out to them, but my friend, I don't care whether it's here in America or across the globe, our Baptist churches will only be as strong as the men that lead those congregations. And you need men. You need men to preach the gospel. You need men to take charge and leadership of those things. You ought to pray for your missionaries as they go and reach the foreign soil. And they begin to work that God almost immediately will begin to raise up some men that they can train and disciple that will be able to get in and impact their area. Pray for fruit. Pray for their flesh. So what do you mean by that, preacher? My friend, missionaries are not perfect. They've got flesh just like you do. In fact, somebody asked one time, said, about a missionary, and they said, you know what? I know how bad that missionary is. And they said, really, how bad? And he said, well, the problem is he's got the same flesh you do. That's really true. You think about your own struggles and your own things and your own shortcomings. I'm telling you, missionaries are great people and God bless them. But I'm just telling you, they're still human. And there's not a one of us, including this preacher tonight, that ought to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. I can't tell you how many stories, heartbreaking stories of people that I've known that got into the ministry or in the mission field and ended up in immorality because they didn't protect their flesh. You got to be careful. There's a reason that Paul talked to a group of elders in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 and he tells them, take heed to yourselves. Pay attention. The Bible does teach us that we're to make no provision for the flesh. You ought to pray for their frustrations. Hey, not everybody's like us. <laughs> Took me a long time to figure that out. We deal with things at home. We have people that come in and sit down in church and my wife came to me one time, she goes, you know, you, you really need to understand, they don't think like you do. I said, what? Everybody thinks like me. 
She goes, no, they don't. She goes, you, you need to understand. And I, I'm telling you, sometimes missionaries go to the field and there's the issue of culture shock. Not everybody looks through the world with the same world view that you and I do. We look at the world through a biblical world view. But my friends, some people, that's a foreign concept and idea to them. They look at it through their own heritage, through their own religion, through their own customs. It's hard to adjust. It's frustrating sometimes. I read an article in a newspaper, a Baptist newspaper several months ago and I wrote this down. It was right before all this virus stuff came about and it said this and, and, and I don't know how to verify what this statement said but I thought it interesting and they put it out and so I, I thought I'd share it with you. Here's what they said, a quarter of all Baptist missionaries who come back to the U.S. are coming home because they cannot adjust to the culture. It's different. And sometimes it causes frustration. Can I tell you also tonight, you ought to pray for their flame. What do you mean by that? Their revival. Their, 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 it's easy, let me say it this way, it's easy if we're not careful to become complacent and indifferent to the work of God. Just like you and I need to be to be brought into an understanding and our hearts to be restored and renewed and revived, so missionaries need the same thing. You ought to pray for their fellowship. Listen, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to be around the people of God who are fellowship centers around the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm glad tonight that our fellowship doesn't revolve around a sports team. You can cheer for this sports team or that sports team or no sports team, but I'm telling you, my friend, hey, that's not what draws us into fellowship. What draws us into fellowship is the Lord Jesus Christ and the truth of the Word of God. That's what brings us. If, we're in the, we have, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Missionaries often on the field, starting with nothing, have no fellowship. Now, thank the Lord for modern technology. Thank God for the ways of being able to connect and be able to stay in tune with their sending church and uh, the church that loves them and other churches that help support them. But my friend, it's not the same thing as having somebody there in person. We're sitting around the dinner table this evening and just talking about, Brother Elam was talking about some of the closest people he has are over 20 hours away. 
I thought I had a long journey to St. Clair, eight hours. You ought to pray for their fellowship. You also ought to pray for their furloughs. Hey, remember, furlough is a time to report to churches and what's taking place on the field, just like Paul did. Paul came back after that first missionary journey in Acts chapter 15, and the Bible says he went to Antioch and he reported to the brethren the things that God was doing. It's time to report. It's also a time to be encouraged, time to spend with their church and family and get uh, re-energized and renewed and go back with a, a, a new direction and a new plan to be able to reach and do what God wants them to do. But let's be honest, sometimes when missionaries come home on furlough after being gone for so long, it's not near as encouraging as it ought to be. Sometimes what they see going on in churches is more discouraging than it is encouraging. That's heartbreaking. That hurts. I'm telling you tonight, by the very help and grace of Almighty God, we need to be instructed in prayer. Prayer is a great privilege it's a great honor to be asked, and we see that is of utmost importance. We see that Paul asked of those who were involved in prayer, hey, with all praying also for us, while you're praying, don't forget about us and the ministry that we're going through. And then he instructs them in prayer. And I'll give you the last thing tonight, and that's the impact from prayer. Paul believed with all his heart when he asked this church, continue to pray. And then verse number 3 says, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door. He believed that these people could get a hold of God, that God would thereby be able to open doors and impact and the furtherance of the gospel would go forward. Paul believed that with all his heart. And I want to tell you tonight, your prayer matters. Your prayer, getting a hold of God on behalf of your missionaries, on behalf of the Moors that are sent out of this congregation, my friend, behalf of those missionaries that you uh, partnership with as a church, you need to go and pray for them because your prayers have an impact. You know, God is moved by our prayers. I, I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure I understand all that. I'm not sure that settles in my finite mind, but I can give you Bible examples of people that prayed unto the Lord and interceded, and God listened on their behalf. Abraham interceded for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and God listened. Moses on a number of occasions interceded on behalf of Israel and withstayed the judging hand of God upon them. God was moved by these men's prayers. Your prayer has an impact. Your prayer has the possibility of opening up countries tonight that are closed. Your prayers has the ability 
to open up homes. I'm amazed at what God's done and given us some opportunities right there in Duncan, Oklahoma to be able to share the gospel. We were praying about some things and, and a few years ago I'd gotten asked by one of our state legislatures if I would come up to the state capitol and be their chaplain of the week. He said on the Friday when session's going, the Senate and the House get together and you're given 15 minutes to speak to them. I said, what's my restrictions? I, no way are you going to give me 15 minutes and not put restrictions on me and what I can say. They said, oh no, you have no restrictions. You can say whatever you want to. I said, I'll be there. 15 minutes I got to give our state legislature, our House, and our Senate the gospel. Never would have thought that would have happened. But God opens up opportunities. God opens doors. I, I tell you tonight, God opens up hearts. I said the other night how we used to be in prison ministry and doing some things there. I'm thinking about one of the first guys we ever led to the Lord had been in prison. Chris Milan is an interesting individual. Chris had been coming to our services at a work release unit and he had been in prison for almost 10 years. Chris was coming to services and directly he goes, Preacher, can I talk to you? I got some questions about what you said. And it was in regards to the gospel. And we've been praying for Chris. Chris ended up getting saved. And Chris told me, you, know, you need to understand, Chris's last day as a free man before he went to prison was spent in an eight-hour standoff with the Tulsa County Sheriff's Department. He took a pump shotgun and put it to his chin and pulled the trigger twice and it never went off. If you know anything about a pump shotgun, it hardly ever malfunctions. Chris got saved by the grace of God and he said, you know what, preacher? He said, I remember my grandma praying for me as a teenager that God would salvage my life. He said, I'm here because of the prayers of my grandma. She prayed for him. His grandma had since passed away, but her prayers were answered. I'm just trying to tell you tonight, you never know what God is doing. You never know what God is working. I don't know about you, but I've got lost family members. I've got a sister. Who I love with all my heart. It gives every testimony that she's not saved. Praying for my sister. Preacher, how long have you been praying for a sister? I've been saved almost 20 years, been praying for her that long. And I still believe that God's going to do something. I believe that God's going to work in her heart. I believe that God's capable and willing and able. 
Listen, I don't know what your family's like and I don't know how long you've prayed and said, Preacher, I've prayed for a child or I've prayed for my parents or I've prayed for a sibling or a co-worker and I've just prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and it doesn't seem to be doing any good. Listen, you keep praying because you'll never know what the impact of your prayer does on the heart of a person. God is able to open up their lives and their minds, and their heart. The greatest need missionaries have is for churches just like Mount Zion Baptist Church to find themselves consistently, continually praying on behalf of their work and their ministries. I'm so glad tonight that when it comes to the issue of prayer, you don't have to be rich in order to perform prayer. You don't have to be super talented. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You just got to know the one to whom you're praying to. Young, old alike can perform this need on behalf of God's people. What a privilege. What a privilege it is to go before the throne of Almighty God and care not just about our own personal needs, but to bring our church and ministries before the Lord and to be able to pray on behalf of missions around the world. A missionary's greatest need, do they need finances? Absolutely. Do we need laborers for the work? Absolutely. God told us to pray about that. But I'm going to tell you above all that, the greatest need missionaries have is prayer itself. Every head's bowed and every eye's closed tonight. Let me ask you, how's your prayer life? How's your prayer life towards your church? How's your prayer life towards that lost loved one that you have? Do you think about them? Do you pray about them? Have you almost given up and said, you know what, preacher, I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed. Hey, don't give up. You continue to pray and continue to ask that God gets a hold of them. Tonight, how's your prayer life? How's your prayer life in regards to the Moors? You're their sending church. They need you. They need you, as Paul said, striving together with them. They need you to help them and pray with them that God will come through and do a work through their ministry. But you got other missionaries. Maybe you need to come tonight, find a place on the altar, a place where you're at. Maybe you need to renew your commitment. 
just about praying and being serious about this great need. Our Father, tonight we ask that you'll take what has been shared from the scriptures, what has been taught to us from your word. God, I pray that we'd listen, our hearts would be open, we'd respond to that which you've shared to us. Father, help us to pray. Help us to take this commitment seriously. Father, realize that we can have an impact through prayer. Bless our invitation tonight. Our time.